we've got another week of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. I'm here. My name's Alon. I'm Tim. And uh, Tim's been on the show before. You you might notice an absence of aura this episode. You may have heard that as well, distantly. Um, yeah, so Ara is working, literally, right now, <laughs> on his game. Uh, too busy to, to be on the show. Uh, and I don't mean that as a knock. He's just in the room working We can't legally uh, tell the viewers how busy he is exactly. Yeah, very busy, though. He'll also be completely away and absent for the next several weeks. Um, and in the meantime, Tim has offered to, to step up and help with the show. And... Tim doesn't have as much familiarity with the preparation that Ara and I perform uh, in advance of the show. Yeah, I, ju- I just ramble a lot when they stare at me. You do, and that's good. That's what we need. But you're going to learn about the way we prepare for the show, which is basically me spending a week on Google Reader, starring the things that I think are interesting, and sort of preparing in my head. That would make an interesting talk, you know, if I take it from this angle or that angle. And then... Um, Right before the show, like two minutes ago, Tim Tim made a suggestion, sort of off the cuff, like, you know, what's a topic? I just talk about uh, games from the Super Nintendo or something. I, well, how, yeah, did, how did you put it? I don't know. I just said, uh, you know, I play Super Nintendo games, and you know they were so great, and play games now. Just what happened, right? And what makes me a valid host of a show, of the show is that I'm like, oh, we could totally do that. And so I asked him. I asked him to think about his two favorite games of yesteryear, which I defined as 16-bit and, and previous. Now, we probably have listeners of the show, by the way, who started playing games post-16-bit. I don't know if, if you can even like grasp what that oh, means. I didn't even know there were people that young out there. Right? The, there are, and it's crazy. So, like, I remember getting the, play, the original PlayStation. It was very exciting, right? It's 32, 32-bit, and it had... Not because of the bits, but just because everything new, and it was a totally new company, and it was apparently very good, and Ridge Racer, I guess, blew my mind. I don't really remember that in Battle Arena to Shinden. But there's something special about the Nintendo-Sega period of time, and specifically Nintendo, because I don't think either of us were big fans of Sega. <laughs> Am I right? Um, more so, more so towards Nintendo for sure. But uh, I, I had some Sega games that I enjoyed. Really? I never even owned a Sega system until way, way after. Yeah. Um, thinking back when I grew up, um, the Super Nintendo was the system that was kind of everybody's, and that was kind of like the, uh, you know, the console on a pedestal, and that was like in the family room, and the Genesis was just mine, so that went in my room. So even though, uh. Know, maybe we didn't value it as much. It maybe got even more playtime from me. That's crazy. So the one that was better was not the one that you actually sort of held on to. Uh, well, for what it's worth, I ended up selling my Sega and keeping my Super Nintendo. Okay. So the only the, the way I acquired one was doing, I don't remember what, some cheesy favor for a friend. And so he gave me his Sega Genesis and whatever games were like sitting in a closet. <laughs> I was like, sweet. All right, and then I proceeded to rent that out to somebody and then sell it to him for profit. Nice. Which I still feel a little bit evil about. But anyway, let's get back to the topic at hand. I asked you to name your two favorite games of that time period, and you were very quick. You skipped right past 16-bit, went right to 8-bit, and what, what were your two games? Well, yeah, uh, my two favorite games are Zelda 2 and Bubble Bobble. And that kind of blew my mind, partly because I don't fancy those games terribly. Uh and partly because I don't fancy those games terribly. <laughs> um, Zelda 2, let me tell you what I know about Zelda 2. First of all, everything there is to know about the game. I mean, I, not really, but I played it, right? Uh-huh. I did not play it, which is something we do on this show quite a bit, talking about stuff we haven't played. But um, I just remember it being delayed so indefinitely... And eventually, like, seeing it on the news, and I, it blew my mind that I was seeing... Isn't it funny how the trend of delaying Zelda games started way back then? Yeah. So, I saw... I actually saw on, like, NBC or ABC, some, some major news talking about the delay of the game and how, you know, people were all waiting for it and it didn't come. I don't know if it didn't come for Christmas or whatever the hell happened to it, because I don't remember that far back. But that was... A, that, like, solidified in my brain, like, that's a big deal, mm-hmm. right? It didn't come out. I've been waiting for it for months. Look, even, I don't know, Walter somebody newsman 
thinks it's a big deal. And uh, then I got the game, and I was disappointed by it. So you put all those things together, and it doesn't leave a good taste in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you said well, that it was and, fantastic. And from what I understand, your disappointment was largely what the game's most largely criticized for, is that it's not enough like Zelda 1. I did not say that at all. Oh. That was incredibly presumptive on okay. your part. I don't care if a game is like its predecessor, but I can tell you that uh, the first in the series of a, of a game that gets you know a lot of popularity, um, people liked the game, obviously, right. otherwise it wouldn't have been popular. And so when you change it up, you're taking a very big risk oh, it's, of alienating it's, those users. It's very tough because you are setting expectations. And by changing the formula as much as they did... Um, Although, um, I've, I've heard it argued that Zelda 1 and 2 are the only two in the series that actually focus on combat, and everyone af- every game after that doesn't, but that's, that's taking it to kind of an abstract level. Um, the, uh, m- maybe it was just because I read Nintendo Power so much that I had so many expectations of what Zelda 2 was going to be, so... Uh, but it apparently lived up to your expectations because you said it's genius. Um, so it, Those, it's that, that really was his exact tough wording. having like extremely accurate, like retrospective memories on something. Like my really, uh, like I remember playing the game a lot, and I remember it frustrating me a lot because it's a hard game, you know, especially for a kid. It was kind of difficult, um, um, at least at the very end, right? And. Uh, you know, I, I remember I did I did play through it as a kid, um, but just the game does certain things that you haven't seen. Uh, I mean, you just don't see in any other game since. Uh, primarily the uh, just just the system of of blocking and what that means. Um, I, I don't I don't know that I even remember just holding. Holding back? Or yeah, it, it was really simple. It was uh, Link is holding a shield, and while you are in a neutral position, you're always blocking high, and whenever you're you're ducking, you're always blocking low. And the way that work they work that into the system is just so ingenious. There are a lot of really fun uh, combats. Like there's these enemies that jump and shoot these rocks, so you you don't want to be ducking when the rock comes at you unless they're at like a tile below you and then they jump and then they end up shooting the rock toward kind of towards your feet and they way the way they uh mix and match those types of enemies up uh there's enemies that throw the boomerangs that like loop around you so like while you're uh hitting with your sword you have to turn around last second and block either high or low uh it's it's a game that's a um is maybe hard to appreciate until you have a certain level of mastery over the controls because there's no cheap situations in the game at all they're all very uh intentionally designed what about the last boss when you're fighting yourself uh because <laughs> that was a giant pain in my ass um you just have to duck in the corner and attack and he can't hit you really yeah <laughs> and you eventually uh take so so final boss uh, don't you think that was sort of an <laughs> unintended method um yeah probably uh See, when, whenever I think of the final boss, I think of the uh, the weird Thunderbird thing or whatever that you have to fight before the Shadow. Yeah, I don't remember that's, that. That's more of an epic Can I tell final you that, boss fight. Let me summarize. Earlier I said I know everything about the game. Let me summarize what that means. Walking around on a weird-looking map, and mm-hmm. weird relative to that which is Zelda. Well, it's, uh, right. So, yeah, okay. So you're walking around this RPG-style map with no knowledge of when an enemy is going to come after you and you just suddenly oh no no, no the little little shadows of enemies appear around you and you have a chance to avoid them it's not like a traditional rpg where you suddenly get sucked into a battle okay good i guess i'm mixing that up okay so you're walking around a map uh other times you're walking through towns sometimes you're fighting in a dungeon in a side scroller rather than top down and then at the end you fight yourself that's everything. Everything I remember about that game. It's just from that description, it sounds pretty awesome to me. Yeah. No, I think probably at the beginning, there's a sleeping girl you're supposed to save, too. Right. That's... Like like most games? Well, like most Zelda games. Just like Ico. People... Or no, sorry. Shadow of the Colossus. People love that game. Yeah. So, that's what I remember. Not Thunderbird or whatever else happens. All right. So, you like the combat in the game. That's what made it amazing. Which is something I never would have thought of for this game. Yeah, I mean, retrospectively, that's. I mean, if if it means anything to you, I've prototyped uh, and 
just a couple of years ago what I think a real sequel to uh, Zelda 2 would be. I call it Zelda 2-2. Okay. Um, and uh, I had a little bit to the formula, but it's... Um, I don't know, that, that that was a fun experience, just to, to dig into it that level and really see what makes it tick. All right. Now, there was something else before we started, which might might have been based on your... You know, let, let me get back to this. So you said, basically, um, I suck because I think the game sucks because it took too long to come out, right? Um, I'm not sure that we stated that. that but that's, that's where you were going, right? So if, you're saying that people have sort of this destructive view of the game based on their their memory of the game being delayed no 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 uh i was i was talking about the 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 other side uh where uh when a sequel comes out that's oh, not like different yeah that's not like the first one people criticize it on that means alone oh this is called zelda but it's it plays very different from zelda one okay yeah so i don't don't care about that very much, but but you run that risk, which we we just talked about that. But um, it's something that. So I want to delve further into this, and there's a reason I've been thinking in my head for a minute. <laughs> if you've been talking, um, Nintendo, and not only Nintendo but other companies during the 8-bit Nintendo era, um, they. And maybe I don't have enough examples of this, but there were several where they made a very popular game, you know, let's call it one. And then the second one was drastically different. And then the third one returned very much to the original formula. You might just be thinking of Mario. <laughs> well, there was Mario, there was Zelda, there was Castlevania. They were all very different. If I remember correctly, Mega Man 2 was... No, that was pretty much the same. Mega Man's all pretty consistent. All right, we're going to get back to this after we get back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. All right, so we're back. Chatterbox Video Game Radio. The website, by the way, is chatterboxgameshow.com. And if you're curious, uh, you know, if you want to ask us a question, something specific, topics on your mind, feel free. We have a phone number. You can leave a message. It's 480-4GAME21. Ara likes to remind everyone about the number itself. 480-442-6321 is the phone number. And as always, uh, we're brought to you by the University of Advancing Technology. The website is uat.edu. So please uh, give them a little visit. Now, we were talking about the sequels of old Nintendo games. I have these three examples that I've, I've said many times on this show before. When you were not around, Zelda, Mario, Castlevania are sort of my go-tos as making a game super popular, totally change the formula, go back to it. Okay. All right. Um, and part of that, like we just talked about, was there's, there's a huge risk in going somewhere else with your game, right? People don't like it. But what's fascinating to me is you don't see that anymore, ever. Right. It doesn't happen. And, and I, so mean, I, I mean, the closest thing you come is like the, if, if they call it a reboot or something. Or, or what they do is they just turn it into a totally new IP or something, right? Like, it's just... Well, I was just thinking of like the Castlevania Lords of Shadow or whatever, which makes it more of a God of War type game. Yeah. And so, not totally new IP, but but like a side story or something. Right, right. right? So it, it becomes something very different. It's not just in the main series. And it, this fascinates me when, when you think about it on, on the macro level, right? It used to happen, and now it doesn't. And I, I look at that as sort of like the Nintendo was 
the the preteen years or the early teen years of <laughs> right that was when everybody was still just figuring their stuff out yeah they were playing around they had these high hopes and then they learned these lessons which will never be unlearned yeah and so now you've got i mean there's a number of reasons now that there's reduced risk in in the game development industry or game publishing industry i should say uh, <clears throat> but but back then it was beautiful. You could try all these new things, and there wasn't a lot of charted territory. Right, so you can and, mess and if you actually go back and if you dig up some old interviews with the developers, like if you hear like you know translated words of young Shigeru Miyamoto, the Mario guy, um, he sounds like a totally different person than he does today. You know, he just um, he just he. As as a game developer, I can relate to that as you have all these ideas and like whenever you make a game, you get all these new ideas that you want to make that you feel are even better than your old ones. Like intuitively, you don't want to get bogged down with uh, with one property. Yeah, um, that seems to be kind of the, uh, the grail of the gaming industry today is that, uh, oh, you make... Uh, a game it becomes a property and so then you just um keep making more and more games in that series until the well eventually dries up that's what he was saying no no no, no. i'm just saying that's become the trend that it was not like that originally so i mean do, do you recall any of these miyamoto thoughts um something we could because well, i've just, never heard this and i don't know where it would okay come from. so uh there's a lot of websites that have started uh, digging up old interviews from archives and translating things that never got translated. Because, you know, you could never pick up Nintendo Power back in the day and, oh, yeah, here's what Miyamoto was saying about Link to the Past. But if you actually look up, um, like, he would say things like how after Link to the Past, he wanted to go back to a game more like Zelda 2. And uh, he just, this was before the game was finished. So he just, like, threw out all these, he was talking about all these crazy ideas that never made it into the game. Um, you know, things that, people will never be so open about in a big company during an interview today. What what could be so crazy that you wouldn't be open about? Just because it's it's an idea that should be protected? Or um, was it a crazy idea? Well, maybe it's partially that. Maybe it's just partially that they're very, very controlled over the details of the game that get leaked. Yeah. And so they were just more open in the past? Yeah. You think that was unique to Miyamoto? No. It's just different. Yeah. So, so basically, ways have changed across the board. Totally. Yeah. yeah so, um, I partially blame the. Uh, well, so going back to the Mario series, when you look at Super Mario Brothers two, that's one of the games that you're going to look at from your perspective and say, "Wow, that is so different from Super Mario Brothers. Why did they even do that?" But you know about uh, Doki Doki Panic, right? Yeah. 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 Um, do our listeners know what that is? So okay, so I mean, we shouldn't assume, but yeah, we we have talked about it in the past, and I will I will explain. So Super Mario Brothers two in the United States is different than the real Super Mario Brothers two. So the original Mario had World one through eight, and then there was a second one, which was just a direct continuation of that game, much more difficult. And uh, I think it actually started on World nine. Uh, I think it's. Or still went eight. from one to eight. Did it? Yeah, the the name wasn't even Super Mario Brothers two, right? Wasn't it Super Mario Brothers for Super Players? Uh, that I don't know. I'd never heard that. Um, but it it was a very direct sequel, unlike what you even see today. It was kind of like an expansion pack in right. its own cartridge, yeah. right? It's the exact same game, but with just some harder levels. And uh, when they made Super Mario Brothers two for the U.S. audience, it was actually a conversion of an totally different game called doki doki panic um some arabian dude in the desert which explains the whole different look of super mario brothers 2 so they just added a few characters so you could choose right because yep. that wasn't oh uh, no 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 it's just they were all different characters i thought doki doki panic just had one guy no nope, had four did it yep. okay well then yeah they just basically did a few palette swaps and a little bit of a story change but that explains like why there's no koopa or bowser or whatever you call him yeah um and it's still where like shy guys originated totally though. But Shy Guys were original to Super Mario Brothers 2. Uh, they're original to Doki Doki Panic. Oh, okay, yeah. So what's interesting, though, is that that then became part of Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. And I'm assuming that the U.S. Super Mario Brothers 2 eventually came to Japan in As some form. As Super Mario Brothers USA, okay. which is pretty funny. And bo- 
but what's, wasn't what's, what's interesting right? is that um, they only made this change because Doki Doki Panic flopped. It didn't sell well. And Nintendo started to realize, because not all of Nintendo's like original games, you look back to them and say, wow, they just released hit after hit after hit. No, they didn't. Like, I remember hearing a story of, uh, you, you've probably never even heard of, uh, they, they made a uh, action-y arcade game kind of done in the style of Pac-Man called Clue Clue Land. Oh, I know Clue Clue Land. Okay. I played the hell out of Clue Clue Land. Okay. So much so, so that when I had uh, my friend's over at the house recently and their two daughters were at the house i broke that out as an example of a game that they could try because they're kind of young and don't yeah. have the controls down i was like here try this game i was trying to pick out a few games that okay. they might be able to play clue clue land was one of them yeah no that's that's funny I, I think it's a decent game uh the game totally flopped though from my understanding is that um really yeah when they basically uh, i think any game i played must not have flopped <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's not always true. Uh, the the story I remember is that when they released the arcade cabinet of it in a testing, uh, that was an arcade game. Yeah, well, yeah, Nintendo did a lot of arcade games before they did uh, home console. Well, I know, but I never would have thought that that game, yeah, was in the arcade. Yeah, I'm not totally sure of the timeline offhand. Like, I don't know if it was a uh, post Nintendo, uh, post NES arcade okay. game. It wouldn't surprise me to, to find that. it in. in like one of those Nintendo 10 cabinets. Right. Yeah. I, uh, this this was before that, though. Okay. And my understanding is that they left it out in the arcade for testing for a number of days, and it just had, like, two coins in it. Like, wow. it had only been played twice. That's crazy to me. So that Clue Clue is a good example of a uh, very unsuccessful game of theirs. Doki Doki Panic was very unsuccessful. Zelda 2 was pretty was much less successful than they had anticipated and uh so so as a result of doki doki panic is when they said oh well what can we do to like this is a pretty good game what can we do to make people actually buy this uh we'll put mario in it it's like a mario game so what what i find really fascinating about that is that you this conversation that you're pretending happened which probably happened on some level, starts off with, this is a pretty good game. We have to do something else to save it. Right. And I, I can't even imagine that happening today. They would just be like, well, that didn't work out. Scrap it and well, never touch it again. That's partially because we each know stories uh, behind the scenes in the industry where that has happened. Um, I suppose. I just, I just think of you know the shirts and ties up top just being like, no, nope, that one didn't work out. Fire those guys. Right, where a game can be canceled off of like marketing reasons alone, despite how good anything else about the game is. Yeah, it, I just I don't picture anyone sort of sticking to their guns and saying, no, this was good. There, there must be other reasons it failed, and it could still work. And it, I mean, do you have any examples of that happening in, in the modern day, like the um, last five or ten years? Yeah, I mean, only like in my own mind on my own projects like the game i'm working on now i give it uh yeah i basically started over from scratch uh two times to turn it into a game that uh i i realized that the uh the because my, my big thing is to make um like humorous games and i noticed that the humor of my game was pretty contrived and actually required too much backstory so i actually had to totally change the whole game so that it would be easy to understand so that you could just show it to somebody and it would be funny Okay. That's uh, a bit of a tangent. <laughs> That's all right. No, I, I understand that you do that. Uh, what's funny is I don't... I played your game a little bit, but not not like from from opening to game. Right. So I don't really know the story much behind right. it, except that it's obviously a, a parody. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so I don't have that element <laughs> in my head. But so... Oh, right. that, that happened a lot back then, though, didn't it? Like, have you ever played the Nintendo game Yo Noid? I'm aware of it, and I probably played it on an emulator or something, but basically no. Sometime look up the origins of that, because it came from a Japanese game that I... Oh, uh, man, I can't remember the origin, but let's just say it was based off... The of you some, know that came let, from. Let's just say that the game started... Because it was a Capcom game, right? I don't I, remember who I'm made pretty it. sure it, it was Capcom. Me. Um, and it started out as, I want to say, it was like an anime game. Okay. And they took the exact same game and they changed the character to Yonoid and they made some of the enemies a little bit goofier. The mechanics are exactly the same and uh I think 
it like kept some of the same levels, but that's just really interesting to me because that's something you definitely don't see today is, oh yeah, when we localize this, uh, let's just change the name of the game and the character and nothing else. All right. I do want to hear more about that or, or we'll be right back. back again and to remind everyone the co-host this week is tim winsky that's right uh developer extraordinaire of independent titles oh not extraordinary yet but someday have, have any of your games released and are available for our, our listeners to actually grab uh yeah i worked with um my buddies over at riverman media for a couple of titles so so what what could our listeners do now that would result in you getting money oh they could buy a game called cash cow on the app store Apple only? Uh, it's on Android, actually, yeah. Okay, so both app stores, Cash Cow. That's not, funny. Not Cash Cow 2. That's somebody else. Uh, <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, that, that's complicated. Wow. So are you sending like letters like, hey, dude, the, maybe the, we should make trademarks? So like back in uh, 2004 or five, I think, is when we originally released the first Cash Cow as a casual PC game. Yeah. And uh, this, was, this was during my casual phase. <laughs> um. And uh, right around the same time, without our knowledge, there was some Flash game called Cash Cow. And that was like one of those. I'm, I'm not actually sure what their business model is, but it's like one of those just sign up and like create an account and like play this game over and over and over again to get these like virtual points. I guess, it's, I guess it was ad based because that was before microtransactions. Okay. Um, but anyway, their game was also called Cash Cow. Then later on, we released our game, uh, a much superior version of our game on iPhone. And they did too. And it was, like, really complicated to who actually owned the right, since we each did the original game right around the same time. So you're just, like, have you ever even talked to them? Uh, I haven't. To, to try and hash it out? Yeah, it's it doesn't seem like it's worth the trouble. I'm just curious, like, if anybody made the effort, or they're all like, you're so unconcerned. And these days that doesn't happen much. Well, it's because just, eh. our game's so much better that, like, nobody would actually mistake the second one for the sequel to our yeah, game. Yeah, but <laughs> there's a tendency to believe the second one's better than the first. Well... <laughs> like you should have changed your name to Cash Cow, like two DX. Uh, I'm I'm not too worried about it. Uh, it's it's cool that our our game Cash Cow did get it's uh kind of a convoluted story the way that we got published through Chillingo, the okay. big uh that. yeah the big iPhone publisher, and uh they later got bought out by EA. Um. And so the game you made is now published by EA? Yeah. Well, it's still published by Chilungo, but Chilungo is owned by EA. So I guess okay. it's kind of behind the curtains. Um, and uh, but, but from what I understand is that EA uh, put a push on the game to repurpose it as an educational game. Because if you play Cash Cow a lot, it's, it's a puzzle game about... Um, well, the way I, I put it is that you change the change into change. So okay. you select these coins, and then when it uh, adds up to a coin, a, a valid coin of a higher value, it all merges and creates that new coin. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's it's actually like being used on iPads and iPhones and stuff in schools to, uh, like elementary schools, to help kids. Wow. Learn how to count money <laughs> fast. So has that actually helped you guys? Like, it, it's actually increasing sales? Yeah. Yeah, we're still seeing, like, you know, not not a lot of money, but a, a trickle in. And we released it on the iPhone four years ago. You never hear about uh, iPhone games making money that... Oh, if they hit education, you'll have a teacher who never gets introduced to another game, and they use that for 20 years. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's a really polished mm-hmm. game. And to me, it's... I mean, um, it's, it's not... Uh, um, like my favorite game that i've ever made but it's a really solid game and to me it's 
the ideal example of what an educational game should be, where it was designed to be a really fun game, and hey, it just happens to teach you something. So it's just really compelling to keep playing. Uh, I can appreciate that. That's good. All right. So now we got that out of the way, which actually was not at all planned. Um, let's go back talk about what we were talking about before. We left talking about Yonoid, which, <laughs> you know, actually, I don't know the demographics of our listenership. I do not bug them with surveys or a lot of things. I simply shove commercials in their face and tell them to buy stuff through helpchatterbox.com. Other than that, I try not to bug them. So they could be a bunch of 13-year-old girls or 45-year-old men. Well, I was talking to some guy who I went to school with who listens to a lot of podcasts who mentions that he uh, listens to this podcast, and he's 30. Um, so there's at least one. Okay. How does he... Do you have any idea how he knows about the show? Just uh, because of you? No, he just he says he listens to all podcasts. Wow. I'm convinced that you can't find us unless you know about us. Huh. I have no idea how people find us. But Well, you could ask the <laughs> listeners to write in with the craziest story on how they found the show. Yeah, you should totally do that. My email is alon at chatterboxgameshow.com. I actually read those, by the way, so, so send them over. Um, but anyway, so some of these listeners may be very young and may have no knowledge of the Noid. So for those who don't know, Noid is... I actually forgot that the Noid's not around anymore. Yeah, the short-lived, relatively short-lived mascot of Domino's Pizza. Yep. And like you used to be able to... I don't know if it came free with certain pizzas or whatever, but you could get like a little plastic or rubbery Noid for your desk or whatever. And I had some. That's and right. It was a really cool character. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I thought Everybody it was super loved ugly. the Noid. I didn't. Uh, okay. Like, Everybody except him loved <laughs> the friggin' Noid. And I guess, like, what was he supposed to be? Like, the annoying character of other pizza companies? Because uh, he was supposed to be an annoying guy. Yeah. I mean, maybe he was like. A, a parody of like a combination of the Hawaiian punch guy and the uh, Little Caesars pizza pizza guy. I suppose I have no idea because the the tagline was avoid the Noid, but they never defined the Noid. So like, was it was Noid just bad pizza that you could purchase elsewhere? I have no idea. I don't actually know. That's probably why they dropped it because. It was ill-conceived, the marketing campaign, Which but just somehow I loved it. Which just blows my mind that they're... Because you think about, like, Nintendo Capcom games. If you're not thinking about their original games, you know, like Mega Man and whatever, then you're usually thinking of their... Like, they were the best company of making licensed games. Like, they did all the Disney ones, like Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers and Darkwing Duck and DuckTales. Like, who knew that playing a game as Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales would be as fun as it was? But that was one of the best games for the Nintendo. Yeah. But then, like, what leads to them making a Yo Noid game for Domino's? I don't know, just cash on the bank, man. But uh, what we were saying was that you don't see any more these, like, simple palette swaps of an existing game. Right. So that, like, that oh, helps license explain game. it, is that it wasn't made as a, as a Noid game. Yeah, it was rethemed and localized as a Noid game. Now, I think you, you may find something like that in other, I'll say other industries, but... Um, in other sectors of the game industry, there's there's this whole market of games that I am never involved in, um, like the games that come free when you buy a box of cereal, or that are on websites for whatever large brands like Oreo or something. We'll just say Nabisco, right? The brand has all sorts of games that you can play on the web for free, or you know, the Toyota had that crappy Yaris game. See, I was under the impression that those were all just licensed flash games. Well, I mean, they're usually Flash games, but somebody has to develop them, and sometimes they're developed from the ground up. Other times, they probably have a company just sort of rebadge an existing game, make a few tweaks and stuff. Mm. So I suspect that's still what we've been talking about still happens, but at a level where it's easy to do. Because making like a palette swap is easy when you're dealing with a 2D game. When you're right. dealing with a 3D game, it's a bigger deal. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. There's... Uh... Um, th- there's kind of a normalized way now for Flash developers to get paid for their work, which is like, uh, I think it's FlashGameLicense.com, which is where developers post uh, games they've made and uh, people interested in um, in buying a Flash game, usually for that kind of a purpose. If it's not just to like get more traffic to their game portal, uh, they'll sometimes like 
give them these requests. So I could totally see that. Like, oh, yeah, this puzzle game's really fun. We just want you to change all the circles to M&Ms. Yeah. And, and in modern days, like we talked about Spelunky the other week, right? Mm-hmm. You could, I think, I'm guessing fairly easily, do a palace swap on that and make it into some Barbie game, <laughs> right? I mean, could you imagine that happening? Say, sure, right? You just change a few sprites around and suddenly... It'd be funnier if it was Skittles with shotguns shooting Skittle rainbows at you or something, but it could totally be done. Doing it in 3D would be more difficult. Models and textures and all that junk. Yeah, um, I guess so. I, uh, still, I suspect it would be harder. The best uh, 3D commercial licensed game uh, I've ever played is Pepsi Man for the PlayStation. I never played Pepsi Man. I was a, I'm aware of the character because wasn't he in some Sega fighting game or something? Oh, that's right. He was an unlockable character in only the, the Japanese guitar. version of Fighting Vipers yeah. for the Saturn. Okay, that's more obscure than Pepsi Man for the PlayStation is, though. Is it? Yeah, that's the only place I've heard of him. Then again, you could play as a Daytona racing car in Fighting Vipers. Uh, no, no, no. That was fight, Fighting was Mega Mix for the Saturn. Oh, fighters, fighting Mega Me- Mix. Fighters Mega Mix. Fighters Mega Mix is is like before there was Nintendo Smash Brothers. Okay. Sega tried the same thing, but they just crossed. Yeah, actually, you see that all the time now, like Street Fighter cross Tekken and whatnot. That was basically their uh, Virtual Fighter cross Fighting Vipers, but they also threw in a bunch of really weird random Sega characters as bonus characters, like a Daytona car. Yeah, and like the cop, uh, the female cop from Virtual Cop. The only uh, fighting character with a gun in that game. Okay. Wow. Wow. We have a lot of useless knowledge in our heads. <laughs> have, you, have you ever thought about that? Oh, I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm just full of useless knowledge for sure. Yeah. And uh, how much useful knowledge do you think? What's the ratio? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what you want to do with your life, I guess. Okay. Good. So, wow, we're coming to the end of the segment. I'm pretty sure we didn't talk about anything this entire segment. Um, Licensed games. So you know yeah. what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to tease the next one. We we talked about Zelda a little bit and how you think that game is amazing. Your other favorite game was Bubble Bobble. Oh, yeah. You are not the only person on the planet who thinks fondly of Bubble Bobble. Oh, yeah. I got my whole high school band to play the theme from Bubble Bobble. That would be awesome, right? I can, Bubble Bobble itself, I don't, I don't see why people thought it was so great, but... I want to hear you tell me. All right. I can shed some light on the subject. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make you wait until after we go to break. But um, yeah, I want to hear what's amazing about that. And I'm curious as well for our listeners to send in what they think was the best game, 16-bit era or, or earlier. And if you have a few of them, send them in. But you have to be able to Everybody's tell. just going to say Chrono Trigger. Perhaps. But you have to be able to tell me why. I'm hoping none of them are RPG. We'll be right back. Are you going to find a master of science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. All right, we're back. And I just I just gave a challenge to our listeners. I want them to, to email or call on the phone number. Uh, 4804 game 21 and explain 
what you think is uh, or was, I guess, the best best game, uh, 16-bit or earlier, um, and explain why. And I would be happy, actually, to relay those to Tim and talk about them on next week's show. Chrono Trigger is a really good game. I'm not knocking it. No, I, I've never played it, but people say it's excellent. But I don't like RPGs very much, and to just pick a bunch of square RPGs would be annoying. So, mm. you know, if that's, if that's what you're into, sure. I hope it's something more interesting than that. Because uh, usually RPGs are great because of their story or something. I mean, how, how interesting can it be to hit Use Magic and just wait for some what random numbers to pop on the time traveling screen? while you're using magic? No, I, <laughs> I don't know. That's why I never liked RPGs. No. Which is weird because I devoted a large chunk of my, my younger life uh, to Dragon Warrior. Okay. Um, it was the first RPG I played. You know the story behind uh, the development of Dragon Warrior, right? Oh, yeah, totally, because <laughs> I would know that. <laughs> so uh, at the time in, uh, in Japan, there was a big problem where people were renting games and just playing through the whole game in a rental. So yep. Dragon Warrior was their way of artificially lengthening the game so that you can't beat it in a weekend. That, that was the primary reason for the way the game's designed. To just make it really, really, really long? Grindy. Wow. Because a lot of people have copied that. And somehow it became a ridiculously popular series. Yeah, it turns out that um, a lot of brains like to do a lot of grindy work. That's that's crazy to me. Like, do they not allow rentals anymore in Japan or something? Uh, You know, I think that might actually be true. I could have sworn. I know they really, like... uh, they really cut down on like allowing used game sales. I'm I'm visiting Japan uh for the first time for my friend's wedding next month, end of the month. Uh so I'll be able to see if there's any uh there's definitely used game sales cuz my buddy was over there and he just brought back lots of them. But like new games or just like classic games. Well, I mean, we were looking at like Super Nintendo and 64. Yeah, I doubt like they control that stuff. Yeah. All but right. But also like how is it even controlled, you know? Well, of course, especially, I mean, you go to the, what is it, Akihabara or something, and nothing's controlled it's, over there. It's probably, like, at least as much of a joke as GameStop controlling M-rated games to minors. Oh. I mean, that's what the M stands for, right? At, <laughs> at very least, yeah. Um, that's not what I thought you were going to say, though. I, I was, th- was going to think um, controlling piracy in Malaysian malls. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. That's where I was going with that. Anyway. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so... I wanted to hear from you what makes Bubble 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 so great. We only have about eight minutes or so. All right. Um, All right. So uh, other than cute dinosaurs, everybody loves cute dinosaurs. Right. And I'll Um, give you that. Okay. So the game has um, a ridiculous amount of hidden depth. Um, Bubble Bobble. Yes. You probably didn't know. Talking about the game with both Bub and Bob. Yes. Bub and Bob the dinosaurs trying to save the girlfriends that were also transformed into dinosaurs. And they're they being were transformed? Held, they weren't originally? They're being held hostage by the super drunk, which I think in the U.S. one, they changed his name to something that wasn't super drunk. Okay. The little green guys that throw the bottles at you were originally called the drunks. Okay. Um, so it's edgy. And How would you know that, though? Because in Japan, they wouldn't be called drunks. They'd be called something. Drunku. It's all in... Oh, uh, seriously? Yeah, it's all in uh, katakana. So okay. it's easy to understand. Something in katakana is usually always in English. Okay. Um, so in that game, um, in fact, some of the depth in Fez has to be inspired by Bubble Bobble. Because in, in Bubble Bobble, when you get to, I think, man, it's actually been a long time, so I can't remember the exact numbers. But I think it's if you get to level uh, 20 without dying once. If you're playing a two-player game, neither player can die once. Uh, and and all, another thing is that the levels are very ingeniously... Uh, designed so that there are oftentimes not intuitive, but there are always uh, very witty solutions and how how to clear them without taking any damage. They're not quarter munching kind of games, which is how people usually play them. But um, so so you get to level twenty without dying. The secret door appears instead of the power up. You go in the secret door and like it's full of all these gems and you get a ton of points in there. But also like there's this weird symbols inscribed on this like plaque in the back of the screen and uh later on when you beat the game uh 
all of those symbols appear in order and they're uh they're the letters of the alphabet which is a little bit amazing considering this is a japanese developed games and it's like it's the you know english alphabet but you can go back to those secret areas and um figure out these secret messages there's there's like one of these secret rooms in like level 20 without right. dying How level is it a secret 40 message if, if it's just the alphabet uh well, right. So there are those symbols placed around so that, like, like you can only decode it with the uh, one that you get by beating the game that shows the symbols in oh, the so order of the symbols that are alphabet. associated with letters. Yes. Okay. And in the secret rooms is when you see the symbols again and they're the secret messages. Okay. And you can only, yeah. Uh, and... You know, they're, they're mostly cheesy things about, like, the nature of true friendship and stuff. But that's the funny thing about the game is that you only get the good ending if you uh, play through it two players. The good ending? You mean the one that shows the symbols? No, 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 no. Because the, the good ending is where Bub and Bob both return to the human forms and they save their girlfriends. And their girlfriends also return to their human forms. And Otherwise, when you single player, what happens? If you get the bad ending, I'm pretty sure your girlfriends actually die and you stay as a dinosaur. Okay. That makes me want to play the game now. But <laughs> the game was designed to bring more couples into the arcade because they noticed that mostly only uh, male males were entering arcades. And from what I understand, it really worked by making it cutesy. But like the designer was just ingenious the way that he added tons of depth to the game, like like this hidden layer of depth that maybe like five percent of players would ever notice. But that's not that's not gameplay depth. That's just. If you're good enough, you see this thing. Yeah, but, but like, without that, you don't have the incentive to become good enough. And, like, without that, like, like just judging from my own experience, you play Bubble Bobble a few times, and you're like, oh, yeah, you just kind of brute force your way. Sometimes you find a power-up. You know, you just, these, these enemies that look like toasters keep running into me, and I die. But then you just put another quarter and continue. But when you have this incentive that, oh, something actually appears... When you play that well, oh, I see now in this level that you can actually like stand here and then jump here if an enemy comes up this way. Um, the, the AI is kind of randomized, so you can't always just memorize the patterns. But um, I guess uh, that's that's kind of an interesting point because um, you only notice the depth because of the incentives. All right. I mean, maybe we have different motivating factors or, or, or motivations i should say because uh, i don't i don't care that much but at the same time so like i was i played lara croft and the guardian of light which is kind of an old game at this point um quite a bit over the past couple of weeks that's the, that's the overhead two-player co-op one right you say two-player but that's only if you have a wife willing to play with you <laughs> and i do not or anyone willing to play with you and i i had to play it through single player i don't even know what it looks like to play with the the second character, who's oh, not Lara so Croft at all. It is. It really is. No, I played the demo, two players and one player. One player is really bad. My a, a friend of mine, Wes, was was on the show with us actually recently. He said the same thing. It's like it's meant to be played two player. Yeah, it's it's clearly designed that way. The, the puzzles are just dumbed down when you play it one player. They actually like change the entire game. Oh, seriously? Yep. Lame. So the, the two players can interact with each other and help them out and yeah. whatever? Or mm-hmm. it's like, you stand here while I go do this? Not only that, but like, uh, it's, it's been a while now, but like the, uh, the native guy is the second player, right? Yeah. He can like throw the spear and it's got like a little, like string on it that Laura can like walk across. And... Oh my God. That sounds way cooler. Yeah. And I liked the game single player. Yeah. Oh man. So you play it two players, it's like almost as good as Bubble Bobble. Wow. All right. Well, that's disappointing except, to except me. Except without as much depth. The point I was trying to make <laughs> is that that game has time challenges. And um, so, like, with every level as you play, and you're probably aware of this, right? But uh, each level will have certain challenges you have, to, you have to do in order to get some special relics or artifacts or something, which help you, you, know, help you boost your character through the game. Sure. And the boosts are not that incredible, but um, you, you have to do stuff like beat this level in under nine minutes or get all the red skulls, which is a pretty classic collecting theme. Um, Eight red things. Yeah, exactly. Um, Or do some weird thing like use a truck to destroy two shields on these large characters or something. And which sounds strange, but (laughs) Oh my God, that's why I put, I put this one on Facebook. The, the challenge is destroy two shields with one truck. 
You're not smiling at all. Two shields, one truck, nothing? <laughs> nothing. Okay. Anyway, you are a rock. So I thought that was a great um, hidden joke by it's the developers. Bad, yeah. But <laughs> you don't see references to two girls, one cup in a lot of video games. It was good. So anyway, uh, I would play through and... I would have to play every level, like to the point that I got all of these things. Although actually, a couple of them I didn't bother with. But like beating the level under the time limit, every one of them has a time limit, and I did them all. Right? I was like, I got to go back and play it, even though I played this level. Mm-hmm. My wife's like, Really? You want to play this level again? That's what you're going to do with your time? <laughs> you just five times, you're back in. And uh, <laughs> so she had no problem criticizing you. She she was busy studying or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely refused to play, which was annoying. So I would go back and, and do that. Um, it was important to me to basically perfect it. And I wasn't exactly perfecting it, but doing it all over again, even though I was just playing the, the thing over again. Okay, well, at least it had a reward system so, in place. A little bit, yeah. But it it's like this bubble bubble thing where I want to, you might be incentivized to get better. Right, right, right. But but I wouldn't have known it because I'm not very observant and would not have have realized that there was this hidden whatever in the game yeah well that goes back to arcade culture where all that passed by word of mouth yeah but i guess i was too young i never the only like secret arcade stuff i ever knew about was nba jam okay the tank yeah for for our listeners who don't know the original nba jam in the arcade you could play a 3d tank shooting game in nba jam a basketball game. So go Wikipedia that. It was pretty awesome. Very hard to do, by the way. Actually, no, not that very hard to do. Anyway, uh, that's the end of the show. We're done. All right. So thanks, Tim. You'll be back next week? Uh, Maybe. Maybe. That's very committal of you. Thank you so much. (laughs) It was fun. Bye, however. I'll be back, and I hope you will as well. Dear listener, email me. Goodbye. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.